Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission Bible verse is Job 23.10. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello, 24 Carat Tribe. Welcome, welcome. Hey, peeps. So excited to have our guest, Brittany Moses, on today. Um, She's going to tell us a little bit about herself. We're going to talk about mental health and wellness and faith and Christianity and how that all works. So welcome, Brittany. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, I love it. We're diving right in. So um, I'm actually over here in Los Angeles, California uh, right now, and I was born and raised here. And as you mentioned earlier, one of the things I'm passionate about is faith and mental health. And the way that all kind of started for me was uh, I when I was raised in the church, I was a church kid. My parents were youth and young adult ministers, right? So I was a kid running through the pews that all the adults kind of adopted. (laughs) Um, And then later on, my parents did end up going through a divorce uh, when I was around 11, 12 years old. And I think that all kind of rocked our family, kind of personally fell away from the faith a bit, um, was kind of on my own, doing my own thing as teenagers do. And I ended up having my son at 18 years old, uh, unexpectedly, um, ended up marrying his dad very young, um, just kind of thinking that was the right thing to do. We don't want to be shacking up, you know, that term, <laughs> um, you know, cause, cause at this time I had started going back to church. Um, so I just had all these different convictions and I was going back to church and I just knew that I needed to, uh, have some more direction for my life. I think during that time around when I had my son, I know sometimes kids can do that thinking a little bit more seriously about life. And I think I just kind of went back to my roots at the church and was more so thinking about my son. Like, you know, he needs Jesus. I'm too far gone. It's not going to happen for me, but uh, let's get him planted. Cause I knew that was a good foundation when I was a kid to have that community. Of course, God got a hold of me and, you know, um, heard this message about scandalous grace, just about how, you know, how grace works and it's not us cleaning up and coming to him. It's coming as we are. And he cleans us up. And that's exactly what he did in my life. I ended up getting baptized. I was serving so much, uh, (laughs) and just dove right in, um, first with nursery, then with youth and young adults and, uh, spent a lot of my, spent a lot of my time in church and walking with people and sitting with people. I think for a lot of us who have served in church in any capacity, it is a lot of, it is a lot of sitting with people and, uh, that's what I love, but I was running into mental crises time and time again, especially with youth and young adults. Um, even around that time we had moved to Dallas, Texas, just trying to get on our feet as a young family, really hard to do in California. It's, yeah. it's quite pricey. So we went out there, started serving with different church plants out there again, running into crisis after crisis, uh, you know, trauma, suicidality, uh, hurts, habits, hangups, all the like, you know, and you're, you're with people and you're like, okay, these are people who love the Lord, who follow Jesus 
who are born again, who are baptized, who are all the things, right? (laughs) Check off all the quote unquote lists, still coming back with a lot of these issues that are hung up, that kind of have a hold on their life. Um, and I also had my own challenges with mental health. You know, my ex kind of decided to go a different way with his life and that's as brief as I'll keep that and ended up going through a young divorce myself, kind of started feeling out of complete control of my life. You know, we lost our house. I was basically homeless, staying with my friend on her couch and she took me and my son in and had a lot of anxiety, just constantly feeling like I was waiting for something to go wrong, constantly on edge. Um, realizing that I had grown accustomed to like the impulsivity of other people's decisions. My ex at the time, what uh, my parents' partners were going through at the time when I was younger up to that point and was living on edge for years and didn't realize it. Um, So I think that combined with what I was seeing in the church and then also wanting resources when I was going through things that were faith-based, but were also practical that talked about the inner workings. Like I wanted to understand like what the inner workings were of anxiety of these suicidal ideations and of trauma that I kept encountering kind of ended up going to the library and just grabbing every book that I could on mental health and taking notes as if, as if I was in school. Um, I did end up moving back home and going to school, going back to school, getting into UCLA. That was a major feat. And so now I uh, study psychology and do research assisting at UCLA. I'm also working on a thesis on the relationship between childhood trauma and generalized anxiety later on in life. And so I get to do a lot of cool academic work on that side, but I also do a lot of kind of public and community work and advocacy like this, where I get to share and help raise awareness and uh, peer education and, and things like that. Um, so that's kind of a long story short, but that's what got me here. That is, that's that's amazing. I mean, I think you're right in church, you know, it's like, well, we just don't talk about it. We pray it away or we pretend it's not happening. And I think that we can tend as, um, Christians to just not want to discuss it. And so I have found, I mean, both Phyllis and I have had our own journeys with anxiety, me, um, with depression, um, especially after my daughter passed away and not being able to have people that actually know how to deal with it. Right. Like, Oh, here's a Bible verse. Yeah. Yeah. Grief is a hard one. I think for people to navigate, especially when they haven't been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a few uh, misconceptions about uh, mental health in the Christian community. And what, what do you see? Like now, I'm sure like even a few years ago, I think it was a little different, but now as we're, we had COVID, right. And it is, we're in this middle of all this thing. And I still think there's this misconception around um, mental health and Christianity. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yes. This is like my favorite thing to talk about. Um, (laughs) So Really, the the best way I can summarize it is is perspective, right? And you even said earlier how, you know, we either don't talk about it or we push under the rug. And a lot of that just comes from, I think, a misunderstanding of what is going on with mental health. And I had that same feeling when I was serving in church. It was like I wanted to help people, but I didn't have the education. I didn't have the, all of the knowledge of what was going on. So I reverted to what I knew, which was to pray for people, which was very helpful, very necessary. Um, it, it is a social support that helps, but 
When it comes to the inner workings of mental health, something that I always like to advocate is that we are bio, psycho, social, spiritual beings. These are all of the dynamics that make us a whole person. We want to be thinking about the whole person. You know, I love how in scripture it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These are all of the dynamics that make up a human being. You know, your heart, that's the seat of your will and emotions and motivations. And your soul, that's your spiritual self. Your mind, that's your, you know, psychological self. And then with all your strength, and that's your physicality. And so that is certainly true when it comes comes to what makes up our mental health. So that's the biggest thing I think where the misconception comes in is a lack of perspective. There tend to be two sides that people kind of lean on. There's either the kind of, you know, science-based view, which is 100% the evidence. Uh, what is evidence-based? What has been researched and data? What is, you know, physically tangible, which is very helpful, right? Cause that's how we learn the brain and these inner workings. We need that information, but it might not take God into account. And so I think a lot of believers are kind of averse to that because it's like, okay, where's Jesus in this? What is your worldview? They're a little skeptical. Um, and then there's the 100% spiritual view on the other side of the spectrum where people believe that it's just 100% a spiritual matter. You know, they're not taking into context, you know, the brain, the body, all of these other things. And what happens is when you think that it's 100% a spiritual issue, then you're going to, you're going to, um, revert to saying, you know, well, this is happening because you're not praying enough, or maybe you need to be reading more scripture or you're lacking faith or you're not trusting God enough. Because if you believe that the root is just spiritual, then that's all you have to fall back on. And so something that I think a lot of us who are in the psych world, who are also believers are trying to push across is that we really want to have an integrated view, a holistic view where we can say, um, we can look at this from a biblical worldview and faith as a support through this journey, but also we are taking into account the way God made us, the way he, you know, formed us, as we say in our mother's womb, the way he fashioned us and all these details, um, including the brain. And so, um, so that's kind of, I think the big, Biggest hurdle is just getting a corrective perspective on this because I have witnessed that once people kind of wrap their head around that, then it's like, oh, okay. Like I kind of always get that collective, oh, okay, there's more going on. I felt that, but I just didn't totally know. Um, and what comes from that, I think, is just more compassion and more empathy because we realize it's not so black and white. Um, and so uh, just really quickly going over the biopsychosocial spiritual so biological we have you know hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are taking place every second in the brain you know neural networks neural connections we also have hormones um all of these things can affect our mood and and behavior a brain structuring we know that when people have a brain injury it can literally change their personality you know okay that's something that is physical that is impacting your personality, something that's not physical. Um, and then there's the psychological, which is your mental framework. And for all of us, that's good. That's going to be different based on our background, our upbringing, our experiences, the events that have taken place in our life. All of that is going to shape kind of the lens that we filter our reality through. That's a psychological aspect. And then there's a social aspect, which is that we were not created to be alone. We literally have, you know, 
neurochemicals that are meant to bond us to healthy attachments like uh, oxy, oxytocin and uh, dopamine that's released among, among healthy intimacy. Um, so we're meant to be bonded together. And then there's the spiritual, which is, you know, what are our core beliefs about what we believe is true about ourselves, about God, about the world around us? Um, not just what we throw, you know, what Bible verse we throw in our bios, but <laughs> when we're going through trials, like what is the anchor that we hold on to? And so all of those things are going to make up a person's mental health. Yeah. That's so good. Hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think every woman is like, yep. Hormones. That's, that's yeah. Can't, yeah. can't pray that away. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that I, I, it's so fascinating. I love that you're giving this whole perspective because I did grow up with a mom who I suspected was bipolar. And so living with crazy every day. I was like, what in the world? But it's so true. Like your mental state is, has a lot to do, has nothing to do with how spiritual you are. Like the brain has a lot of, a lot to do with how you live your life. But my question is, um, I'm curious, what's the number one kind of struggle with younger kids that you saw? Cause I know you were saying like you did a lot of help in churches and stuff. And so yeah. Common denominator. Was it like social anxiety? Did they feel mm-hmm. like, what was it that they were the biggest struggle that you see with maybe teens right now or young adults? Yeah. I think that at the time, I guess the most alarming one was suicidality because it yeah. felt, it seemed like it came out of nowhere, but it really wasn't. They were just storing a lot of the things that they were dealing with. Um, and so that, that was definitely one of the biggest things. I mean, social anxiety. Yeah. That, that comes into the play with, um, you know, social media world and all of that and interacting and finding ways to show up. And also I think at that age, there a lot of people are kind of having identity issues as far as who I am and who am I in this world? Where do I fit in, in this world where I'm going? It's that in between stage of college and career as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think, I think that's just normal. Everybody mm-hmm. goes through that where you have to navigate. Um, I feel like it's more now because of social media, cause they have this I- idea of like who they think they should be. Mm-hmm. And then Right. To like what the reality is, but the reality is, is even the people on social media aren't feeling that. Right. So, so how do we get that across to them that that's not real? Yeah. I mean, I think that the message is out there as far as, okay, these are people's highlights reels. And even though the message is out there, it's still going to come down to the individual person and how they are translating things when they see, you know, what they're scrolling across on social media. It also does depend on the individual person because social media is a tool. So, um, you know, it's how, that person is translating what they're seeing, um, and how they're using it, you know, and how they're using it. Some people use it to, you know, genuinely connect with friends and check in on them. Some people are having these quote unquote parasocial relationships, we call them where Mm -hmm. they feel like they have a relationship with these celebrities and these made up, you know, kind of figures online, but really you don't know all their life and you don't know all that's going on. Um, and so it really is a matter of just probably 
continuing to refresh and reset and recommunicate that message uh, with ourselves and with one another as we're going through this. Because the reality is that social media really took off quicker than we developed the structure for how to navigate it mentally. Um, So we are kind of playing catch up on that. Yeah. And I think too, we get information so quickly now, you know, whereas, I mean, I grew up in the eighties, so it took a while, you know, um, and you know, we had a couple TV stations and, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I, no girl, I grew up in the sixties. We had a couple (laughs) TV stations. (laughs) We had to get up and change it. The antenna. I, 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 I at least ears. remember that. Yes. Yeah. The good old rabbit ears. Exactly. Well, I feel too like, it, you know, especially in Christian um, home, my dad's a pastor and mm-hmm. so I grew up, you know, I'm a pastor's kid, grew up, you know, the same way under the pew. And I think it, this just was not talked about at all. And so it's funny because I have a 23 year old daughter and she has a therapist and she works with her on a regular basis. And it's so awesome to see. And Phyllis and I have talked about this many times. I'm like, gosh, if I had had a therapist at 23, right? Know? I mean, or even at 27, like after my daughter passed away, oh, I yeah. did go to therapy, but I didn't, we, I didn't dig deep. Right. Like I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm just going to surface it. And I never allowed myself to go deep. And so I think a lot of times kids in the church don't, they have these feelings and emotions, right? They have all these yeah. sexual feelings. They have, you know, they're not sure about drugs or alcohol and we just kind of don't address any of them. And then they get into their twenties and they get themselves into messes and they don't know how to get back out. And so then they have all this trauma, right? And so I feel like this is a discussion that we do need to have more inside church about mental health because it's okay if you need to be on medication for a little while to get stabilized and you're not crazy if you feel a bout of depression Uh, you know we I think we've all felt that in 20 I don't know anybody who hasn't had a depressive moment in 20 or 2021 if you never had it before (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and to add to add to what you're saying, you know, another reason why this is so important is because uh, 50% of mental health conditions onset by age 14. Wow. So that's wow. usually when the signs start. 75% of them onset wow. by age 25, 75% onset by 25. So it really is in those younger years where if they are struggling with something, these symptoms are coming about while they're trying to navigate their world, grow into their identity, all of these other things that you mentioned. So it, it is are going crazy. Hormones going crazy not to mention literally the emotional part of our brains at that age are growing faster than like the rational part of our brains like yeah. literally we are literally <laughs> more emotion based physically um our brain isn't fully developed until around age 25 so you know you take all that into consideration and um and you, you realize how important it is to have those supports. And like you said, imagine if, you know, they're getting help at 15, 16, 17. I mean, my life would have looked completely different. I had depressive episodes. I actually struggled with self-harm around 10th grade. It was kind of an episode and it, it never happened again, but I was going through a lot and you don't know what to do with it. You don't have the coping skills yet to make sense of your situation or your feelings. You just, you, unless you have like maybe parents who model really emotionally intelligent behavior or something, which 
I mean, a lot of us, family, you know, a lot of, you know, it's like most of the time, right. Most of the time it's, uh, I mean, even my parents meant well, I know they love and care for me. I have a wonderful relationship with them, but at that time they were both going through their divorce and these custody battles and court and it was crazy. And so, you know, they were so in busy with trying to manage their own affairs and everything that was going on with them, you know, we were kind of left to try to piece that together. But, um, and I think that's a lot of teens. So, you know, then you, you factor in like they start dating and then the breakup and the trauma from that, like, even though we think, Oh, it was just young love, whatever, it still leaves trauma and it leaves, you know, residual effects from that, you know, and then they're still trying to cope and then they get into another relationship and then there's more, you know what I mean? Like, it's just this cycle that keeps going. That was literally me as a teenager. (laughs) And I feel you because, you know, as a parent, I mean, I think Phyllis and I both agree that as a parent, we have the best of intentions, but when you go through something in your own family, right? It, sometimes it's really hard to like manage their emotions while you're trying to manage your emotions at the same time. Yeah. It's like trying to get them a therapist if you can. I understand yeah. that accessibility is different for everyone. Um, but there's so many resources out there um, yeah. as well now. Like I feel like there's more today than there were yes. two years ago. Um, cause I, I was, I've said this more than once that I feel like COVID has caused us to feel things that we've never felt. And so now we're having to yeah. address them and it's being talked about more in the workplace. Um, I mean, we've had so many calls at work about, Hey, like if you're feeling this way, please let us know. We have resources to help you, which before I don't remember that ever being right. a discussion. So, and just to throw out a quick resource for any parents mm-hmm. out there, um, uh, at any time, and maybe give this to your team because maybe they don't always feel like opening up or talking about everything with their parents. You know, we want them to, but um, if go. they text home to 741-741, there is a trained crisis counselor that will text with them 24 seven at any time that will help uh, walk them through what we call from like a from like a hot moment to a cool calm. So it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't have to be suicidal. It's just any form of distress that they're feeling and they just want someone to talk to or some support um, or someone who can even lead them through more resources. That is a great place. And this is coming from someone who is a trained crisis counselor. And I actually started volunteering on that line around COVID because there was such a spike. So, and the people there are, are genuinely there to support. They're non-biased, you know, um, they're non-judgmental. Um, they're just a support. So at any time, so they don't have That's to go through really whatever they're good. going through alone. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it's important for parents to see the signs too. Yeah. You know, it's different like teen angst. Um, I have two grown daughters, so I went through the whole, <laughs> the whole teen years, but, um, there was differences when you could see things kind of shifting a little bit more than normal. And I think, so two things, I think, um, so I didn't grow up in the church, so I became a Christian at 35 and I'm very much about communication and being real. And I think because of things that I've gone through, um, I was aware a little bit more. And so I think it's really it's, it's key to be able to talk to your kids about anything when they ask. So like my kids would ask questions about, they would hear something on TV at like 10 or 12 
it could be sexual or whatever. Like, what does that mean? Or what? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know like some Christian parents would be like, I, I can't, we can't talk about that. I, I would answer appropriately for, for that age. Like I would try to be honest with them and say, you know, well, this is something that usually adults do, but let me, you know, like Oprah used to have these topics where I was like, why are you talking about that right now? I'm listening to Oprah. And then it's like the kids walk in and they're like, what's that mean? And I think communication is really key to being honest about every topic because now like my girls can talk to me about sexual things, about um, political things, like whatever it is, they, they know that I'm not, it's not off limits to me. But yeah. point in teen years where they it's a pulling away period and, and they need to do that. But I think if you see changes that are really obvious, you know, like a total shutdown, um, kind of like an anger that's not normally there because they all go through those emotions. But I love that you have a resource. So if they can't talk to us, there's a resource that they can call that is non-judgmental. I think communication is the biggest thing that um, I would say, especially for Christian parents, is they get so fearful of talking about topics that are probably uncomfortable for them. And so then they don't want to really talk about it with their kids. But I would encourage them to just open the door and let them lead the conversation. Like if they keep asking questions, you keep answering. Yeah. And it's great because we can, you know, say gent. Well, my son's a preteen, so he's not there yet. So I will check back in with y'all um, on that, <laughs> on all of that. Uh, I'm, just I'm, fine. <laughs> I'm learning here. I'm listening to, you know, I'm learning along the way. Um, but and that's great because then it's like, Hey, I, I can tell, you know, maybe a difference or maybe you're not doing so well. And I, maybe you don't feel ready to talk to me about what's going right. on right now, but I just want to let you know that there is this number that I found out about that has, you know, trained support count, you know, counselors mm -hmm. that you can talk to at any time. So if you don't feel like you can talk to me right now, I, I just don't want you to be, feel like you have to be alone through this. So yeah. here's this number. And then whenever yeah. you're ready to talk, I'm here. I think yeah. that's so great because yeah. it just gives another place, another yeah. safe outlet. And, and usually after someone's talked about it and kind of gotten it out, then maybe they do feel more comfortable coming to you mm -hmm. now that they've mm -hmm. talked through what it yeah. is. And so. there is times when they need to be alone and you need yeah. to release that. Like I know some parents are just like run following them to their room. They're like, I just want to be alone right now. And, and they're like, no, yeah. me. and it's like, so you have to know that balance of like letting them process what they need to process, but yeah, like they're spending too much time alone or not. So here's a key. I will tell you, we <laughs> kept, um, televisions or computers in their rooms so that they would have to come in the family room and be with us. They hated it, but now they're like, they come back, they go, no, it's kind of a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> phones and all of that stuff in their room. And then they hole up in there. They won't come out and communicate with you. Although so, it's a little harder now with social, <laughs> with social learning. It's a little totally, but, but there is ways to do that. Like you can, yeah. I mean, you can do that during school, but you don't have to have, all, you know what I mean? Like people have like big screen TVs in kids' rooms. Like you don't need to do that. Like you can have a television in the family room and say, you know, we're, we'll watch it as a family or you watch what you want. And we're just here reading or whatever. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't do it in this time. I just think like people give into that too much where it gives, it makes it too easy for the kids to like hole up in their rooms. And then that, that cuts off communication. And then they're seeing things that is going to give them more anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Just finding more ways to build that connection. And I like what you said about like chasing them into the room because research has shown that the more restrictive parenting is as far as like high, what we call like high monitor, like high monitoring, um, the more they hide things, the more discreet Mm -hmm. they become, the more secretive they become, um, versus more of that interactive, uh, more of like, okay, I'm giving you the tools and skills or whatever on convictions on how to deal with these situations and trusting what I've instilled with you through this, um, they tend to be more open. So um, it's important too, because they have to learn how to self-soothe and yes, because there's a point where they will be on their own. So they can't you for everything. And so, yeah, there are times when they need to be able to, to do that. Well, Brittany, we have one last question for you. And this is our favorite question. What would you tell your 22 year old self? Oh, don't do it on all accounts. No, (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is, don't say no, just say (laughs) no, all of it. No, (laughs) no, I actually had some really great experience. Like I founded a nonprofit for youth and young adults. I did some amazing things. Um, I think I would have, um, I definitely would have told myself that boundaries are okay. I didn't have mm-hmm. a sense of boundaries. I, you know, I was very codependent and I was so used to being a peacekeeper because there were a lot of things going on in my household growing up, not with my parents, but with their partners. That was very volatile. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't have a sense of boundaries of, I was always thinking about other people. I never thought about what was healthy for myself. I just was constantly mm-hmm. enmeshing and conforming to other people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what, I mean, learning boundaries was the biggest game changer of my life. And I definitely would have told myself like, you know, it's okay to think about what's healthy for you. You can forgive and still have boundaries like, um, and only you can set those boundaries that show people where those lines are, um, and boundaries to take care of your health as well, including mental health. So I definitely would go back and reaffirm the whole boundaries talk if I could go back and do that because I was also being a church kid there was that heavy thing on forgiveness and serving others and it was so heavy in that direction for me um you know that I didn't have a balance and I just kind of I think gave myself away to everything and everyone including my ex you know um I think I stayed in a rough situation much longer than I needed to, but the lessons were learned and, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. boundaries, 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 boundaries. Yeah, boundaries <laughs> because I feel like that is such a hot topic right now. Like everywhere you turn, you see people talking about boundaries and I think for so long we haven't had them and you're right. Growing up in church, same thing. I mean, you know, what are boundaries in church? Man, there were no boundaries, you know, and I've had to learn. I mean, Phyllis is, Phyllis is good at rest and she is actually really good at boundaries. <laughs> She's a very good friend. Well, <laughs> that's because I grew up in crazy. So <laughs> you stay healthy. I had to, that's one of my life lessons or my second book that I'm writing is about um, yes. life lessons is setting healthy boundaries. I'm all yes. Yeah. Even in family, especially in family, especially in family, I yeah. think it's because I feel like sometimes people just say, well, it's my mom, it's my dad. I have to do whatever. I'm like, no, you don't. 
blurred the most. I had a situation where I was like, yeah, the only way we'll have a relationship, you know, a, a healthy and a good relationship is if we are not living under the same roof, <laughs> like, you know, exactly. like, exactly. and then yeah. you, and then you move and then you're like, you have a great relationship and it's like, okay, re-managing expectations. That's just the only healthy way that this relationship might function. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. I feel you. It was so great having you on. Thank you so much. Can you, mm-hmm. you have a ton of resources on your Instagram. Yeah. So if you can just give your Instagram handle and tell us the resources that are on there, that would be great. Yeah. I'm on Instagram at Brittany Moses. And then I always kind of direct people just to the blog, BrittanyMoses.com, Cause that houses everything. That's where it has all my socials, the podcast, the faith and mental wellness podcast, where we have conversations with both mental health professionals and those who have lived experience, mm-hmm. um, kind of both sides of the table and it's faith-based. Um, and it's holistic as well. We talk about nutrition, we talk about all the things. And then, um, yeah, I have a lot of resources there, like printable guides, journal prompts, kind of all the things. I have some Bible reading plans on you version, uh, around anxiety and the like. So yeah, check it out. I know. Well, I love to journal. I saw the journal prompts and I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to go. <laughs> There's so many. I used to release once a month, the first of every month. And then I think I created this expectation with people because <laughs> like, then they would, t- yeah, they'd email me on the first or something. Be like, where are the journal prompts? I'm like, first of all, these are free. I don't <laughs> and I'm tired. <laughs> But anyway, yes, they're all there. That's great. Thanks again for being on and 24 Carat Tribe. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure to go follow us on 24 Carat Conversations podcast on our Instagram. And until next time, friends, sparkle on. Bye, peeps.